<laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> wow. At least it gives you that uh, that clue that it's recording. Yeah, that's um, pretty generous. So yeah, welcome right. to Next Play. That's what I'm calling this shit. All right. <laughs> Just introduce ourselves. Word. Go for it. I'm Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh. I like chili dogs. I like going fast. My name is Bubsy. Um, I'm not <laughs> sure what could possibly go wrong. I didn't realize we were doing our video game character names. Oh my god. This is hard. Um, Maybe you're hard, man. Um, well, I was going to pick a different Mega Man boss, but you, you like got Like Grenade me. Man? Uh, hi, I'm Grenade Man. Um, <laughs> I like blowing stuff up. I pretty much pull the pin on everything. Uh, I'm a real short temper kind of guy. Also, I love pain and killing Mega Man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did I mention that I don't like heights? Yes. Uh, <laughs> okay. But you do okay. like yarn balls. I do love yarn balls, yeah. Yeah. As many as you can possibly collect. All of them. Well, I was uh I was going over some things today. And uh I guess I was starting to think like about what exactly old games mean to me. Mm-hmm. As far as like who I am. Right. And uh it's just such a deep rabbit hole to go down. It, because it definitely it, definitely is. I've been trying to think about the same thing over the last it's, and it's yeah. it's like incredible. And it's like incredible how many video games I've played. Like to go on top of that. Um, yes. Yes. I couldn't even come up with an accurate number. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to either. I mean, and, or like you start including like flash total, games. Yeah, <laughs> total accrued hours of games. It would just be insane. I mean, just in the last three months, I've played two hundred hours of Smash. <clears throat> yeah, I, that's I, a lot of Smash. I finished uh, Assassin's Creed Origins and got all the different trophies and did literally everything that there is to do in that game. And it took me, you know, my older age, I don't have as much time to play video games, but I still poured almost 300 hours into that game and uh, finished everything. But when I saw that number, it was like somewhere between 250 and 300. I don't remember what the number was. But when I saw that number, I was like, man, I could be a doctor by now. <laughs> or, or something constructive. Yeah. But uh yeah. but I don't care. Um yeah. I I and I've spent so much of my time playing video games that that's where that question originally came from. Um and the question was that like uh that I prompted to you guys was that we've seen the evolution of video games since its very, very beginning to the very present. So we've gone through every stage of video game playing that there has been so far, and we've spent a lot of time doing it. So in turn, it's really wrapped into my own identity, and I know it is for you guys too, and I'm really curious to hear about that evolution. 
of video games and how you have evolved along with it. I think we're kind of a extremely unique generation and it's kind of a subject of history that we've gotten to start out with. Like I was born into a family with an 8-bit system and now, you know, going into the present. Um I've had every system uh going into the present, most systems going into the present. Um every generation of system, I guess I should say. And in turn, it's kind of really interesting because, I mean, my first game was Mario and Duck Hunt combo. And now I've been playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which graphically just like blows my mind on the level of scale and graphics and gameplay and depth and sound. And it's really amazing how far it's come in my 33 years of existence. It's really just absolutely insane. So that's what I wanted to talk to you guys about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty amazing topic. <laughs> it really did shape us as human beings, like you said. It's uh, it's kind of a unique position that we've all been in. The fact yeah, that I I wrote I wrote two different responses to that. Um I I wrote one at night when I was not working. It's very positive, I would say. And uh I wrote one today on my break from work. Um, that was a lot more negative. <laughs> I think I just sort of feel two ways about that question. Um, part of it, part of it, I feel lucky to have been right there on the ground floor uh, with what I would call is sort of an experimental renaissance of games coming about in the early '90s. Right, where where games were starting to be a bit more codified, um, and sort of the the big tenets of gaming have were set in place, both like as far as in the field of game design, but also in like the business of the games industry. Standards were being set. Right, right. And I I feel lucky to have been a part of that because I think it's a really fascinating part of the history of my favorite medium, video games. But I also have felt over my life a sense of a alienation. Like, I I just feel like uh, that I'm such a huge game fan that I've just can't really connect with the uh, a lot of people that that are more mainstream if that makes sense right yeah yeah I feel, I feel like my passions have become so niche as they've aged that when i do meet someone that's into the same things as me we become great friends like you two guys right mm -hmm. like when i started working with you mike and we started listening to metroid metal and talking about metroid <laughs> and mega man x like, you know, those are really solid, strong friendships, and we can have conversations that last hours. Oh, yeah. But Which I feel like it's this sort of... podcast in the first place, by the way. <laughs> exactly. That's the whole basis of this whole thing. Because the, the most, like, in-depth, like, thoughtful conversations that I can have in my life are about 90s video games now. Because that's just <laughs> how my life right. is. Oh, I know. I, I mean, I know that you and I have had some some real deep conversations of how like 
video game culture ties so deeply into our deep-seated like nihilistic distaste for society it's really an incredible <laughs> like uh connection there to me and i i know what you mean because the like you know i, I wrote down some very similar things um uh, and how video games have shaped my identity pushed me in a direction and a trajectory in my identity that did make me um i think different from other people but it was something that i kept feeding so i mean an example that comes to mind for me is is of course diablo 2 as you guys both know that one's like deeply integrated into my psyche and <clears throat> in yes, high I've school heard you like that game <laughs> occasionally i play it here and there you know yeah only, uh, it's only, only just hit 20 years old and i still play that one regularly but um <laughs> for for me like in high school i moved cities i used to be in the same town as as mike in osos and then i moved to paso and i was in like a new school it was full of bullies it was terrible and like the way that i broke out of like kind of that identity of being picked on was to really take on the identity of the necromancer from diablo 2 and after that happened like where i grew my hair out i looked like a pale corpse like i still do and started like wearing like all black and looking like the necromancer from Diablo 2 who I, I who I idolized along with a bunch of you know metal musicians but the necromancer from Diablo 2 was the first like people started to leave me alone after that and i've honestly stuck with it since my hair is still long even though i'm balding and like still wear my black metal shirts still play that game still love the theme of that game yeah that's weird and that, I think that's, <laughs> I think that in itself is not unique to humankind in general, because humankind has always done that, whether they're taking on the identity of their gods or their favorite movie characters or book characters. But I think we're the first to do that for video game characters. And that's pretty bizarre. I think so. I very much agree with you. And I've felt a lot of those same things myself. And I know that. Mike, deep down, just wishes he could be zero. Yeah, yeah, no, that's not far off. <laughs> I do wish that I could just burst through a ceiling pane and shoot a, a hyper beam at, at Vile's face and just blow off his arms at any given moment. Yep. Yep. I mean, I'm just saying, what's stopping you, though? Like, really? Yeah, I guess I should just go find Vile. And, uh, <laughs> you can give it a shot. Yeah. Ponytail that's as long as your entire body. Yeah. Bleach it. <laughs> get yourself a laser sword. Yeah, you know, I do really love laser swords. <laughs> I mean, really, it wouldn't be a bad lifestyle change because I don't really see people on a regular basis anyway. So, uh, yeah. No, there's, there's so do you feel? Uh, do you feel, Mike, that since you grew up being I mean, can I say, like, first and foremost, a gamer? Mm -hmm. do, do you identify with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, do you mean, do I identify with being like, a gamer, like, first and foremost? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel it, like it's the most defining part of it. Yeah, I would say it is definitely. Because it, even when it comes feel, to... Oh, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Did you feel a sense of alienation growing up? 
I still, to this day, feel a sense of alienation. <laughs> I mean, I I, so. that's why we're all home. <laughs> yeah, and, and everything you said strikes very true because, uh, you know, I think about that on a regular basis too. Like, I don't, I'm not good at conversation anyway. And when it comes to having conversations with people, I don't know anything unless it's something about video games. <laughs> I just don't. I don't have the knowledge to strike up conversation about things because I just don't really know anything other than video games. Yes, yes. I totally have felt that. And I've um, I felt like um, that I just have to work on sort of a a series of scripted answers to talk with some people, especially at work dealing with customers. Mm -hmm. Because whatever I'm thinking probably has nothing to do with something that I should actually say. <laughs> I probably am thinking of like, man, blowing up planet Zebus is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> or I just have the storm Eagle music just like going in my head and I'm completely not listening to anything they're saying. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the I... storm Eagle music is going to be an important part of further discussion. I'll get back to that later. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And, um, and I understand that, like not being able to connect on a certain level with other people, but I have to say that even even like other gamers, a good portion of the time, I have a tough time with because, you know, we all kind of took a certain pathway through the evolution of generations. Um, mm -hmm. So like even you guys, in your case, you guys have the commonality, like the root commonality of Super Nintendo and especially like Mega Man and a lot of Nintendo stuff. Well, yeah. I had Sega Genesis and I was only allowed to have one. So for me, it's like those sega characters who are more obscure typically and like random third-party characters who like never made it are really special to me but like mega man i didn't play until high school uh when i played mega man x4 for the first time and that's when i was still good at video games and i could actually i got a decent amount of the way through x4 but i've heard that one's one of the easier ones of the of those games um and bit, I, yeah. did, I did enjoy it at the time but it's not as deeply rooted in my psyche as it is for you guys because you guys had super nintendo i had sega genesis so i'm a dork yeah. and i love bubsy um <laughs> yeah but but that said like me and mike have Mega Man and metroid but you and me have doom oh i know and then me and mike have like you know diablo and a lot of the games that we played together a lot of ps1 games like final mm -hmm. fantasy Battle Arena Toshinden. So we can still find the can Battle Arena Toshinden. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me want to play that shit right now. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, we always find those like commonalities, but it it's definitely in part like an age thing. Um, I mean, working at GameStop as long as I did, I remember talking to people that wouldn't even be that much younger than me, and they just had a such a completely different experience that it was still hard to talk to people working at GameStop that were even fellow gamers, you know? My yeah. brother is six years younger than me, and his experience is largely similar, but then, like, his formative games during his high school years are completely different because I was already an adult doing my own thing, and Trevis was still doing, uh, you know, playing Xbox 24-7. So, yeah. you know, yeah. it is you know, an age thing, and a lot of it's going to be lost in time because, I mean... Yeah 
retro video games I feel like are popular among people our age, but I, I don't, you know, especially after teaching middle school students, like they have no interest in like old school games at all. And I understand why they're hard and they probably look like shit to them. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it is more niche. And like you said, as we get older, because the content that's special to us also gets older, it's like, you know, going to become only more niche over time. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Unless you guys do what I did, have a kid, and then teach them that Donkey Kong Country is the best thing that ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> then you can carry the torch. Yeah, yeah. Because you know that's the only reason I became that a father. <laughs> yeah, my my friend my friend Robert upon um when he had his kid, uh he was like, you know what, I'm gonna start starting from the very beginning. So he made him go through every stage from um even Atari all the way to present. <laughs> wow. Funny because he grew up to be a real smart kid. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot um, of balance there. I was gonna respond to something you said earlier, Kevin. I can't quite recall what it was but um i i guess i guess i was going to add to what you were saying about um identifying as a gamer but not really identifying with other people that take on that that person uh a position i guess yeah um yeah. Okay. because that's that's another thing i see with zoe is that zoe is really getting into um, he's six uh, almost seven actually next month um he's really getting into watching streaming on youtube and that's just something that i as being someone who's played games my whole life still have a hard time wrapping my head around like just wanting to watch it but i'm sort of getting it yeah but it's it's uh it's how millions and millions of people are experiencing games today, not buying or playing them at all, just watching other people play them. Right. Other people that you sort of feel that you know, but you aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I, it's something that I, I've never gotten either, especially like, you know, when I occasionally want to see something video game related on YouTube. If it's like a let's play where there's any talking whatsoever, it's an instant like exit out for me. I don't want to see somebody like with their goofy commentary playing a game. And if I do want to watch gameplay, it's something that I want to watch with no commentary at all whatsoever, just the gameplay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like to see that for like new titles that I haven't seen before. I like just look it up and watch gameplay of it to judge whether I'd like to buy it. But that's the only reason I would watch other people play games online. Agreed. But streaming is huge. And the really big online games like MOBAs are huge. And I think that's most of the sort of sense that people get around the word gamer. And I think I can speak for both you guys by saying that we're, we're just not, we're not that kind of person. We play yeah. games a lot, but we're not trying to rank number one on League of Legends. 
Right. <laughs> yeah. And I think that there's something a bit more ritualistic about the way that we play. Definitely. I, I think totally that's a, agree. a great word and a great way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Because, because what we're looking for is, is repetition and recreation recreating a lost feeling or a lost time right right that time is preserved by being embedded on a copper plating inside a circuit board in the super nintendo cartridge (laughs) (laughs) it's funny you say that because i think about that a lot and i've always considered myself a very open-minded individual i try my best to stay open-minded um because i don't want to become the person who just you know hates everything because it's new because i fear it um i have a fear of becoming that person honestly so i try my best to stay open minded but as a 33 year old it's getting really really hard um and that ritual that you mentioned um i mean i still try to play some new games here and there but I always end up falling back on something that feels familiar. So I, like I said, the game I'm going through right now is Assassin's Creed Odyssey, but you know, it's still, it, it's come a long way, but it's still essentially the same formula as the 2007 Assassin's Creed that came out, the very first one. Yes. So that was already a long time ago. That was 13 years ago. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> which is, And that was around the time that I just stopped playing new AAA games. Yeah, I mean, and I that was around the time that I was working at GameStop, so I'd still played AAA games. Um, But it wasn't long; it was probably for me or more so around like 2013 when I quit GameStop that I stopped doing that. But the games that I've played since are once again all the similar formula. So I still played Diablo regularly. I'm looking forward to the new one, but it's still essentially going to be just click everything until it dies. I play plenty of assassins, but it's still just sneak up on people and kill them. <laughs> Lots of violence. Um, yeah, I, I play new indie games, but they're just Metroidvanias. So it's basically yeah. just still playing Metroid. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same. Very much the same. Yeah. So that that yeah. is that is interesting, the the idea of, of ritual like that. I mean, the the way that I play my games now is I'll come home from work and do my things and then i'll sit on the couch and i'll play assassin's creed and it's kind of assassin's creed for me is kind of zen because it's got that you know despite the fact that it's like super violent and you're slitting people's throats and stuff which you know it's it's a weird that's a whole other discussion that it's weird that it's zen for me to go around killing everybody but um (laughs) but uh i i play the game a lot like on a ritualistic basis because i mean the last two took place in ancient Egypt and and the new one's ancient Greece. And I just really enjoy like the scenery, the sounds, the the trees, the the architecture, the history, like those kinds of things. Like I feel comfortable in that zone. Um, so I could spend hours just walking around looking at stuff. Sometimes I play the game and I don't even do anything. I just kind of walk around. Um, and it's kind of both relaxing for me after I get off work but then it's also like you said like trying to not only capture a feeling from my past times playing Assassin's Creed but like they really hit the nail on the head because they can help you capture the feeling of 
even though it's fantasized, of course, of being in ancient Greece, which is something that I've also always fantasized outside of my video game playing, you know, being in ancient Egypt, those kinds of things. So they're doing a good job with their series because they can put you in the place where you can A, tap into your own nostalgia and B, tap into the life of another at an ancient time, which is pretty damn cool. Yeah. And and what you just said, actually, I feel absolutely the same about Dark Souls. Because Dark Souls is not just a difficult, extreme, whatever people call it kind of game. It's it's just a beautiful game. It's so enjoyable to just walk around the environments and observe. I mean, it puts you in these fantastic fantasy settings where you're on top of a castle in a lightning storm and there's like deathly spirits flying around everywhere. And it's like, obviously, you can't go to something like that in real life. Uh, <laughs> You, know, you can't go there and there's no way but within the game it even just being able to control your character and walk around and see that is satisfying right it's interesting you mentioned that as being your your zen game because that's one of the ones for me that's so frustrating that it pops my zen bubble and then i get angry <laughs> and then i give up i wish i could play it because i do really like the scenery and the and the yeah. themes and the characters and the monster designs and stuff, all that stuff is perfect for me, but um it, it pops my Zen bubble too. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good at that, Dark Souls. Yeah. Yeah, it, it does do a good job of that. Yeah. There are days when, when you're just, <clears throat> Oh, sorry. Oh, oh no, just th- there are days when, you know, you're uh better or worse at games. <laughs> yes, I feel that. Yeah. Um, but I was going to say what that mostly reminded me of for me is Hollow Knight. Mm. Another game that's basically in the style of Symphony of the Night. So that's a good game. Not, not too different than what I've played, but I really enjoyed the environments in that game. Mm-hmm. And it just it felt good to be exploring such an alien, very fantastical world and feeling like you were in it. And the soundtrack is amazing as well it just draws yeah. you in um again that game is way too hard for me and i don't think i'll ever beat it i would i want to but i just don't think i can yeah that's... Uh, do, you, do you guys feel like you've gotten worse or better at video games now compared to when you were a kid uh, i mean i would i would say i've definitely improved uh, but I think that's just because when I have the time to sit down and grind on a game for, you know, two, three, ten hours, <laughs> uh, that's the only reason why. Oh, okay. You've always been video- good at video games, though, Mike. Like, I mean, but no only, matter what we played, certain, you always won. <laughs> I don't know. Only certain types of games, though. I don't know that it's like a am good. I think, it, I think it's really just like a, since I was a teenager, like you said, playing games ritualistically. Yeah, um, it's, it's sort of always been that way where if I realize I have a chunk of time that I can devote to video games, I just do. And I devote right. a lot of time all at once. Right. It, it is it is like a skill. And I think you kind of pick your skill and you go with it. And mm-hmm. granted, I, I played a lot of like on Sega. I played a lot, a lot of like 2D platformers at the time, of course, um, because that's was, you know, in that era of games, there was just so much of that. Um, but it was in high school where I kind of really, it really boiled down to the games that I wanted to stick with. And that ended up being, um, some action RPGs, some fighting games, 
um, you know, like Tekken in particular is one that I played a lot then. And then um, like third third person games. Um, I remember at the time playing and enjoying games like uh, like Tomb Raider and stuff. Um, <laughs> and those are the games that I still play now, basically. Um, but it's kind of a skill that I've stuck with. So now when I go back to try to play anything else, like I, I, I did play Symphony of the Night. I did have it. Um, but I didn't play it as much. So when I play those Metroidvania-style games, they're really hard for me. And I have a really tough time with them. So, uh, you know, but I think a big difference now, more so than skill improving or not improving, I think it's more so like my attention span. Like back in the day when I was in high school, I was, this was even kind of in, like at the beginning of high school, we still just had dial-up internet and stuff. So I just had myself sitting in a room nothing to do but sit there and grind and i was okay with that now it's like if if i can't get past something right away i give up and move on to something else um so i think that it's like not so much a thing of like skill improving or decreasing rather i think it's uh willpower and focus and like having less time than i used to to like (laughs) sit down and figure something out yeah definitely Yes, I find <clears throat> because I I try new games very often. Um, I'm constantly getting new um, like obscure indie games to try, but I really find that if I can't figure it out within a few minutes, I'm just not going to play that game. Yeah, yeah, and it too. limits my exposure quite a bit, but I just. I don't have, I value my time in a much different manner than I used to. Yeah. And I I think that, you know, it has been discussed. I've seen it on the pockets of the internet being discussed. So it's not just totally me making this up, but I think the companies that make video games need to realize that too, because I do think that games have gotten much worse when it comes to like, here's a three hour long tutorial before you even start the real game. And yeah. I hate that crap. I really do. Like, I remember booting up, and I'm trying to think of what shooter it was, but I, it was some first person shooter, I don't even remember what shooter it was that I downloaded on the PC because it looked kind of cool and started playing it. And right off the bat, they just threw like a tutorial at me for a first person shooter. And I remember thinking at the time, like, I should just be able to click this damn button to shoot at stuff, and that's it. And then, so I gave up on it right away and just, haven't it's just been sitting in my steam account since um you know well i think there's something to say for having a game that's created to be able to be played by both veterans and completely new gamers yeah because i guess i just sort of view it as um similarly movie genres um like you should be able to watch a movie of any genre and be able to appreciate it without having had to be introduced to the genre before. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. Definitely. And I, I feel like there's something to praise about games appealing, not just to its target audience, but to anyone. Oh yeah. Like I think a good example would be the Pokemon games. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. because each each game, even though there have been 
uh, eight or nine different series always has all the 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 beginner's stuff in there. You can't really skip the beginning stuff as if you've never played a Pokemon game before. Because they're always planning each generation right. to be able to be played by the oh yeah younger players that haven't really played it but are interested in Pokemon. Just, just because you know, not only democratic, but obviously the best business move. <laughs> I'll, I'll read the question straightforwardly, um, and you guys can answer. So question two was, how do the various stages of video gaming tie into your identity as an individual? How do these different eras of gaming shape you as a person? What games in particular were most important in your overall development as a human and why? Um, I guess an example being my Diablo II Necromancer example that I mentioned earlier. But, um, you know, what... I'd, I'd be curious to hear like what either genres of of games or stages of game evolution or games in particular or characters are most essential to who you are now and how you identify like down to the how you wait down to the way that you act and dress and think um those kinds yes. of things mm-hmm. okay um what i thought about and i sort of touched on this a bit before is that I think that my interest, passion for video games led me to develop the most important friendships in my life. And that's how video games shaped me as a person. Because I spoke earlier about feeling isolated or alienated from a lot of my peers because of my interest in gaming. That's true. But the opposite is also true, that the friends I would develop from interests in games would be tighter than any other friends I would meet in my life, because we could understand each other at that level. So I think that what changed me about games, and I could name some specific games, um, but first I would like to... um, describe, I would say, roughly four different eras of my interest and passion for the hobby. Um, One would be early childhood, dominated by Super Nintendo and PC games. Um, But the important one as far as... That's an interesting juxtaposition there. Oh, what's that? Between, Between SNES and PC. Usually it's one or the other for most folks that I've talked to. And usually PC is usually for an older generation. Um, Yeah, well, I had an interesting childhood that I think is quite rare because my father was very interested in computers in general and computer gaming. So I had my father, who was um, a gamer from the MS-DOS era, into things like Doom and Quake. Um, But he was also um, looking up reviews for Super Nintendo games to buy me. So I had 
all of the best Super Nintendo games because he would look up reviews of what were getting the highest critical scores. That's um, pretty amazing considering I always just got like weird hand-me-downs and whatever was cheap. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think that most gamers um, would would have had that similar experience to you. But I had sort of a special one just because that my father was put into the sort of industry before a lot of people were. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, I can't remember what I was saying. What are your other three stages? Okay, yeah. So I had early childhood um, that roughly went from about 1993 or 4 to 2000. Um, then the second stage of games, which was really important to me developing personally, would be from uh, early 2000 to about 2005 or 6, uh, basically the years that I was in middle school and then high school. Um, because at the beginning of sixth grade, um, my very... I, I moved at the beginning of sixth grade. I moved from where I used to live in LA to Cambria. Um, so I kind of just lost all of my friends and had to develop an entirely new circle of friends. And uh, my very first friend I made in Cambria, actually we bonded over the Digimon animated series. Um, and I went over to his house to watch the, the season finale of Digimon. Um, but first year middle school in Cambria were my friends Colin, Cody Pettit, who uh, could possibly be a, an entire episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have to get Cody on here at some point. Colin, too. I, I, I talked to him. He said he agreed to be a guest sometime. So. Rad. All right. I'll just have to build up to that. Um, but anyways, those are two of my very best friends that I've been friends with since this time. And we bonded because I was uh, standing near them on the the quad and I heard them talking about the Mystical Ninja games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was just an immediate bond after that. We talked about video games all day as often as we could, played video games with each other, but uh, we had we would borrow games from each other. Anything we bought, the other one would be able to access. And uh, constantly had like uh, hangouts and sleepovers where all we would do is play games. Um, that video games very much defined all of my social activities at this time. Um, mm-hmm. The third era, I didn't play very much. I had a 360 later on, and I had a few games for it. Other than that, I sort of moved away from video games in the first years of college as I was uh, trying to find maybe some other interests to spread into. Um, And the last one would be now, roughly since my child was born, because I went back into playing newer indie games to entertain me as I stayed up all night for my kid. 
Um, and that, I think, that era isn't really relevant to this conversation. I'll get to it at some point. But uh, yeah. that's where we are now. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Well, I forgot another important point of the current era would be living versions of each other's first era when I would work with uh, you guys, Mike and Kevin. And we reconnected over games that we played. Yeah. And uh, now I'm great friends with you guys because we could bond so much over, like I said earlier, with you, Mike, Mega Man, and Metroid, for sure. <laughs> never had conversations about Metroid as long as when we used to work together. No. And then um, for me and Kevin, I would say Doom and Quake would be the uh, yeah the main ones there. And and the heavy metal that goes along with Doom and Quake. Yes, yes. Yeah. I was actually I was going to include metal in a a later category. <laughs> I guess it. Yeah, I'll include it in a an yeah. upcoming discussion because that's right. that's important. Yeah, I, I'm going to well. say I have a whole. For for our future episode, I have a whole conversation built around that, so we can save that. But uh, yeah, oh, fuck yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm down. Yeah, heavy metal um, video games, satanic panics, and stuff. It'll it'll be a, it'll be a good good one once we get yes. used to this. You guys, are gonna, you guys will have to give me some stuff to research for that uh, episode because I'm really not up to date with a lot of. <laughs> oh, you you can fit in just fine, Mike. There's there's gonna oh, be. Yeah. Some... Diablo, oh. Dark Souls. I mean, it's all there. You, you're you you're you're good. There'll be some some content there for me to. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, can I share with you guys a somewhat LP factoid? <laughs> yeah. Right now, I'm just eating those little brownie bites that have powdered sugar on them. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? I do. They're like brownies. They're, yes, they're, these are Albertsons, but same uh -huh. difference. And they're like cut into cubes and have powdered sugar. Yeah. I just. If, I if, you, re if you really want to like make impress me, then on the next podcast, you'll be drinking like Mountain Dew. Code Red. <laughs> okay, so the uh, Tinder date I had yesterday, <laughs> uh, where we played Street Fighter, oh, uh, I asked her if I could get her a beer. And she said, oh, I brought this. And she held up uh, a Mountain Dew. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, did and you I guys... Fucking, I can't remember what the flavor is right now. It was it was blue. It was Baja Blast. <laughs> but she continued to sip on that through... Okay, I looked it up. It's called Voltage. <laughs> well, that's a new it's one. Blue. I don't know that one. Wow. Yeah, it's blue raspberry flavored. Just like every few minutes, alone. she would like take a swig of it. <laughs> it was pretty fun. We ended up we watched uh, Badger, Badger, Badger. <laughs> what is Badger, Badger, Badger? Oh, you never saw that one, Mike? You're no. that one. I'll have to send uh, that one here. You don't. I, uh, I know. I showed do. you at some point. That's the flash video. Yeah. Badger, 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 Mushroom, Mushroom. Okay. Yeah. What about salad fingers? <laughs> um, familiar. I have you watched familiar. that, Mike? Or no? Oh, I have. I have. Okay. Yeah, we uh, 
this was actually a, a pretty lavender town experience all things considered because we ended up just watching like meme videos huh. and we watched like homestar runner we watched the uh the uh, he-man um like or old meme video, video. Apparently. she she must be our age yeah she's uh she's 30 i think gotcha nice. just no, like right me there. general and um having to do with a lot of the alienation and isolation that we talked about earlier uh video games definitely played a part in shaping uh any any person that plays video games can understand that and um i would say early on as a kid like not really having anything to talk to people about other than video games um well let me start over so so I, I guess what what I looked for in games when I was young was stuff that was really sad and stuff that was that made me feel isolated and made me feel alone because as a kid, you know, I didn't grow up with a dad and I was just part of that whole thing. And that was just part of my personality. Um, and I identified with that. And so in video games, I sought characters that I could relate to on that same level because dark themes and like uh characters that play the role of like the like the tortured alone you know like that teenage angst kind of thing i looked for characters like that in games because yeah you know because being a young person we all go through angst and we all go through you know that that depression that young Mm -hmm. people go through but especially like when i turned 13 and like middle school and then early high school um I loved games like that with characters that were like basically like the Disney parent thing, like, Oh, your parents just died or like you're left all alone or you're the only one that's, you know, with the responsibility of the world on your shoulders. Like those were the characters in the games that I gravitated toward. Um, Obviously now my relationship with my dad is different now. And like, you know, we're good. I'm good. You know, I have a good relationship with my dad now, now that I'm an adult and I can just see him whenever I want. And that's good. But as a kid, um, that was that was a very defining factor in uh, the types of games that I played, and and one specifically uh, was Illusion of Gaia. <laughs> Interesting. Oh. Yeah, and uh, for Super Nintendo, and it's, it's funny you say that because I I can now that I'm thinking back on it, like hanging out with you in high school, like you know I didn't put two and two together, but now that you mentioned that, like I I. I can see that because I remember you'd play Chrono Cross a lot. That one was pretty sad. And yeah. like you'd listen to the soundtrack all the time and the soundtrack's got like a real somber soundtrack or like yeah. Final Fantasy games typically have that um, element of kind of, uh, um, I don't know, I guess you could say the human condition and relationships and those kinds of things are usually pretty mm-hmm. deep in the Final Fantasy games and those kinds of yeah. RPGs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like Final Fantasy 3 especially was was a big one. Uh, or Final Fantasy VI in the States and FF3 in Japan, but uh, the one where Kefka is the last boss. Yeah. But uh, in that game, uh, as with many other games that I sought out when I was younger, it's it's like the uh, the crushing weight of reality. And like you said, human condition and relationships is very powerful in those games. You know, it, everybody dies. And 
uh, there's there's famine and there's there's grief around every turn in those games, and they are just crushingly depressing at at times. And they're great games, but the stories that they tell are very very dark and very sad. And I've always been drawn to those kinds of games, and I look for that in games even now. If it's not a sometimes if it's not a serious enough tone for a game, I feel like that's enough to turn me away from it. Or I'm just like ah, I'm not interested. You know, I'm not. I don't really care. You know. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and huh. as an as an adult, obviously, like I can recognize those things that I couldn't recognize when I was younger. But right. I, I think that is kind of the theme from being a young, you know, angsty teenager person uh, up until I was, you know, twenty eight, twenty nine. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, not even really understanding what I was going through. Right. Uh, being able to reflect on that. So. But games like Valkyrie Profile, where you know oh, you're yeah. a Valkyrie, I mentioned that one, and yeah, like the whole game is just about people dying. That's the whole game, and you're going to them when they die in their moment of death and saying, "Do you want to fight for the existence of heaven or hell?" And they get to choose, <laughs> like, "Oh well, I guess I guess I could fight for you know heaven and in Ragnarok and." Uh, my dying soul can be taken into you and used as a warrior to fight for for the heavens. And I mean, that's just amazing. <laughs> just the <laughs> the Viking lore behind that is amazing, obviously. But uh, as a concept for a game, it's just so dark and so yeah. interesting. Yeah, I, I I do think that you know, there's books which I've read a decent amount of, um, and they can they can get you, they can really invoke feeling. So can movies, but mm-hmm. there's something about video games that, like, when you're looking for some sort of like connection with your own personal emotions, like, and I know it's not for everybody, not in everybody's case, um, but for me, like, video games have always been sort of one of the deepest levels of of connection like that. So that that's that is interesting that you say mm-hmm. that. Um, I hadn't thought of mm-hmm. it that way. But that's a very interesting viewpoint. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, interactive storytelling, being able to actually interact with the story that you're essentially reading or watching in the game. Right, right. Because you take an active role in it, you're not you're not just watching something; you're doing something. Yeah, I think that's part of why the uh, watching of streams is so popular. Yeah, because um, I think uh, I think I pitched this to you, Kevin, as a song title idea because <laughs> of the false sense of accomplishment. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. You <laughs> did. You did. <laughs> um, we might, might might use that one still. So <laughs> that's pretty great. <laughs> and uh, Mike, I really have to um, resonate with what you were saying about themes in um, not only video games, but movies. But I feel like for me, it came from video games itself. Um, I would say from from two sources. One would be the uh, heavy metal soundtrack of the original Mega Man X, um, (laughs) which I would say is uh, extremely responsible for my development in musical taste and appreciation for music um, specifically because of the sound test option that's in the start menu 
Yeah. Um, but also Doom. Yes. Doom <laughs> combined with my father's interest in uh, r- retro horror movies really set me up for an appreciation for darker or horror art and games later in life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would always seek out, if not um, darker atmospheres or darker themes, uh, extreme ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I think uh, in that case, if I'm going to answer this question too, I, I would also, like you, William, uh, divide things into stages. And it happened to be really where every 10 years of my life have kind of fit into like give or say like one to two generations of of the video game evolution at a time mm-hmm. um so i mean in going with what you said will like i was originally in san diego as a kid and had those formative experiences with sega and sega genesis and pc my cousin had a pc and showed me all the the violent video games that I still love to this day, like Doom and Duke Nukem 3D and Quake. Um, but then at the same time, I was playing like sort of the bright chipper Sega Genesis games like Sonic the Hedgehog and and Bubsy. Um, although I did have RoboCop versus the Terminator, which was super gory at that time <laughs> period, and Mortal Kombat and stuff. Um, but it did set me up for even at like a young childhood age for always wanting those games that push the limits. And like, you guys kind of both know me well enough. Right. (laughs) And you guys both know me well enough. And especially Mike, since Mike, you were there for like my entire, for like a good portion of my teenagehood, like all of my teenagehood, actually. Mm -hmm. Like, you know that I was always that kid that always wanted to push the limit, whether it was, (laughs) like acting up in class or saying stuff in front of people to piss them off or listening to the most outrageous music I could find or like whatever it was, like anything that could push people's buttons. I always got a kick out of that. And <laughs> in, I think there was I other elements. That's a very it. natural state for a kid to exist in. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think it is. my own parenting experience. And, and I, I learned it from, a few sources. I would actually say in this case, it wasn't just video games. I think that watching Jim Carrey movies actually really sort of kindled that that fire. <laughs> but I think video games were a big portion of it because as a kid, playing things like Mortal Kombat, I remember playing Mortal Kombat and there was a kid on my street that wasn't allowed to play it. And I got a kick out of that. So I loved bringing that game over to that kid's house and like making his mom watch me play it. You know what I mean? So like (laughs) video games were definitely a part of that, that controversy. And I'd I'd say that teenagehood, which like I said, was, was for me because I had moved away from, so, well, I guess, let me put it this way. I lived in San Diego around nine or 10 years old. I moved to Los Osos and parallel to your story, William, I met Craig Johnson on the playground. He was the first person I ever met as a fifth grader. And he literally walked up to me. He looked me dead in the eyes. I still remember this like it was yesterday because I had no friends. I didn't know anybody. I was just there by myself. And I was literally just sitting crisscross applesauce like in the field, just sitting by myself. And Craig walked all the way across the field. He looked me dead in the eyes and he said, hey, do you like Pokemon? And I said, yeah. And he's like, 
And his exact words were, okay, we're friends now. <laughs> yep. So it's proof in the pudding that like, especially as kids, we didn't need anything else other than that. There was nothing else that mattered except that we had that commonality of Pokemon. And then we just mm. talked about it for the rest of the year. And uh, yeah. he introduced me to other people that became friends um, throughout the ages. And like, you know, once again, it was all kindled by video games. And yeah. that's sort of served from like 10 to about 13 to, yeah, 10 to 12 years old. Video games is the basis. Now, in middle school, it kind of started to change because I started to get into things like music. But once again, like you said, those things were all, um, uh, I discovered my music through video games. Uh, in particular, I had a demo disc that had a game called Sledstorm on it, and it had Rob Zombie's Dragula as one of the tracks. And I just thought that was the coolest shit in the entire world. And I listened <laughs> oh, to that Dragula way. track by putting the PlayStation demo disc in my CD player over and over and over and over again. Um, so to this day, as still somebody who's like a musician, and I actually would consider my identity more so like, I don't know, metalhead almost more than video gamer, but like not really because I consider them the same thing. Like they came from the same place for me, um, which is interesting. Um, yeah. So through my teenage years like the video games were really formative for me which once again like i said my my necromancer from diablo 2 thing um but i also remember i was going to mention this mike that when we first started hanging out was seventh grade and it was my birthday and i don't even know how you knew it because i didn't even really tell anybody it was my birthday but we had never really hung out before but you came up to me and you gave me a birthday present which i still have to this day by the way which is super rad oh what did it I was give a you? collage that you had done and you had drawn all these video game characters into a collage and colored them with colored pencils and there was like ah, i remember oh. like trunks from dbz was on there and um you kept the you have that yeah i do i still have it actually i still have it in a filing oh, cabinet man. I would I'm love to see that sometime. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. And then you said you put like happy 13th birthday on it or something, <laughs> uh, which is pretty cool. And I still kept that. But once again, oh, it's proof of William, what you were saying is that like, I didn't really know Mike at all. And like, I had kind of talked to him here and there, but like, he literally came up to me with a declaration of video game characters and said here, which was kind <laughs> of like, almost kind of like pitching it to me. Like, here's what I'm into here's all this like dbz and shit you know and i was just like instantly like looked at it and was like okay i can relate to this guy and then we just became friends after that so like yeah i think i think you're right that just about every friendship i've ever had um started with video games which is interesting uh yeah that it definitely directed my um my entire development yeah definitely and um, you know I, I i i actually wrote a paper on this once and i should mention it to you guys too well you know what i'm gonna save it for a whole other conversation it's gonna be a controversial one but uh i have a whole thing lined up on um like racial theory and and video games too um oh, okay because uh i have a lot a lot to say about it um especially after really, really thinking on it. And like I said, that one might be kind of a, uh, I guess to put it 
no other way. It might be kind of awkward, but um, I think just to like as a little bit of insight on that conversation, I think that I was able to relate to the necromancer so much because I was skinny and white. And because I was skinny and white, I took off after that theme and I took after that character. And I was able to sort of form my identity around that character. I don't think I would have been able to do it if I was any other color or ethnicity. Um, but I think it also kind of shows how video games are really sort of deeply rooted in our American culture at this point. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting I'll let you guys point. I'll on that. <laughs> yeah. I, I relate to that uh, very much so. And I, I agree with your point that, uh, I mean, as human beings, we just, we seek things that we can identify with. And that's why video game characters are so interesting because they have real personalities, at least the good characters do. Right, right. And they're based on real, relatable experiences or people or or something. Right. Which, you know, is it, kind of a another interesting, I mean, I don't want to keep taking, derailing the conversation, but it's also kind of a way that video games have evolved in that like, you know, back in the day when we were playing PlayStation 1 and 2 games and or some PC games or even Sega games, you had to seek out a character that, that really resonated with you. Whereas nowadays, luckily, and I think it's a good thing, honestly, um, in a lot of video games, you make your own character. When you play Skyrim, you can make your character and make it as relatable as you possibly want. And then that game gives you the freedom to choose your identity as you play through the game. Um, oh, and not yeah. all games are set up that way, but I think that that is something that has really also helped expand. You know, because being a gamer as in high school, we were the nerds, right? But nowadays it's like just a mainstream, normal thing, makes more money than movies. Um, yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why is because people can find a more relatable character through that. whereas uh you know back in the day you had to find a character that you really related to like bubsy yeah. who i relate to <laughs> and that's a really interesting point that you make there too because as time goes on as we get older uh, we find it harder and harder to find things to identify with or find new things interesting because, you know, I mean, after you learn so much, uh, you know, getting older, life just yeah. becomes a little more mundane and monotonous um, over time, I guess. Right. Not always, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah. No, I gotcha. I gotcha. But I, I, it I goes back you... to the comfort zone that we were talking about earlier. Is it like you have the tendency and the instinct to want to just always go back to your comfort zone rather than seeking out something new and relatable yeah. especially since like our identities at this point are largely solidified like i know yeah. i'm going to be a metalhead for the rest of my life i know yeah. i'm going to play video diablo for the rest of my life i know like <laughs> at this point i know who i am whereas like you said earlier mike it, when we were in high school and we were going through the height of our angst and like being obnoxious like we didn't know we had no idea who we were or where we were heading or like we were yeah. experimenting with so many different things we are still forming and even though teenagers act like they know everything and we acted like we were knew everything 
we were still constantly absorbing information from each other, other people, video games, music, to try to figure out who we were. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think you touched on a really interesting point that uh, more modern games allow character creation and customizability and that it's so popular. Um, it makes me wonder if, you know, uh, because I'm really into that now, like character oh, yeah. customization is so big. Uh, when I look for a game now, I'm like, oh man, I can't, I can't customize my character. That, that kind of makes me sad, you know, but I wonder right. if that's because of what you just said, essentially. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think, I think it could be, I mean, we all want to find something like relatable mm -hmm. and it's kind of weird because I, I mean, my own dichotomy is a little strange where sometimes I want to find something really relatable, but sometimes I want to play something completely different. Yeah. That's um, totally alien this, to escape my body and escape my psyche. You know what I mean? It's kind of a, it's kind of goes two ways there sometimes. So like when I play Elder Scrolls games, I like to be the Khajiit and make the Khajiit like all gnarly with, you know, try to get out of my, my body as much as possible. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and it's it's hard it's hard to find games uh, to to keep it interesting because so right. many games are just rinse and repeat of the same old concept. Like yeah. you were saying before, will you know newer games that you play now are just Metroidvania games all rehashed in the same sort of fashion? Yeah, and it can be hard to find some uh, original content. Which you know, I I think it's because the people making video games, like Will said, are trying to trying their best to recreate an experience that they had that's so special to them and mm -hmm. i get it because like in all my research doing like video game development stuff like i always want instinctually to make a diablo 2 ripoff but uh <laughs> you know because i you know i want so bad to recreate that but at the same time like you said what yeah. the, the downside and the result is that like i would just make a game that's exactly the same and there's a million diablo ripoffs so like yeah you know, i would just want to make a Mega Man X ripoff. <laughs> That's all I want to do. You should. I mean, I would play it. I would absolutely. I know. I really should. I really should just get on Unity and figure that all out and do that. But well, I'll help I, you. Uh, all I want to do is talk about video games. the other prompts here i mean we kind of segued into it but one of the other prompts that i had was um we've seen so much change in video games over the course of the last 30 years where do you think it's going i mean we, we kind of just talked mike about like you know cust character customization but i'm seeing the direction that it's heading with things like vr and ar and po pokemon go is pretty revolutionary and video games are being pushed to the limit where they're photorealistic hmm. where do you think they're going and where do you see yourself in that situation well what i think and uh this is mostly influenced by by a couple of things one is raising a child that is basically a gamer already um identifies playing video games as probably his favorite thing to do um i think the future is going to be in vr yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it will transition to a sort of um 
single player in person environment as in you're by yourself in your room right um but overall on via online action multiplayer sort of existence i think um i uh, i didn't watch the whole movie i just saw the beginning of ready player one i have seen that one oh you saw that mike yeah it was good i didn't watch the whole thing but at at the beginning the main character leaves his house to go to some like old shed where all that's in there is his vr kit and I feel like that's sort of where we're heading is sort of a combination of like a VR MMO, um, but with social media aspects. Mm-hmm. It's funny you say that because I work with a dude who has a the latest VR, um, the newest Oculus, whatever that one's called, which uh, when I used it, it blew my mind, by the way. But um, yeah, he's got a space cleared out in his house for, for VR. Um, so it's like I think empty rooms in our households are going to become a a norm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, where if you look at a space to live, if it's not VR suitable, you're going to think twice about living there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and it this this brings up a good point about VR, and I was hoping that you guys would say that because I think about all the time video games in my memory, and here's where it gets really surreal for me where it feels like the matrix and where first of all our generation is kind of unique in being the first and then where it's where it gets really weird but i have a lot of unique memories that have melded with my actual physical world memories but they're memories that take place in cyberspace so Mm -hmm. for example i played morrowind to death Morrowind was like my favorite first-person RPG. is my favorite Elder Scrolls game. I know Balmora, like directionally, and who's in what buildings, like the back of my hand. Like I know Balmora, the city of Balmora, in that game, like better than I know actual physical space in even my own county. But it's <laughs> weird because that's in my memory, and because I was directing it and experiencing it and so immersed in it it feels like it's a real memory like embedded within my consciousness at this point Mm -hmm. but it was actually in cyberspace so we have all these memories that are in cyberspace and the direction that we're heading is with vr where we're literally taking over our actual senses with that same cyberspatial awareness it's gonna get it's gonna get weird because i think that like actual reality and cyberspatial reality is going to be like a matrix type situation here pretty soon where I don't think that there's going to be much of a difference for some people um, in discerning like what's real to them in between cyberspace and the physical world. Do you guys kind of follow me there? What what I'm saying? Oh, Oh, definitely. Especially (laughs) if you bring monetization into the, into the picture, you know, when it comes to money, if a person can make a living being a professional video game player now, they could make a living doing it in VR and then that becomes their whole reality. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that like, I mean, and even money's getting virtualized, right? Like your actual money is Venmoed through banks. And then we have a bunch of like cryptocurrency and microtransactions. So yeah, Mike, I think you're absolutely right. Like, like even the economy is going to become like 
a virtual <laughs> reality and not a cyber and not like a physical reality. Yeah. Yeah. Where um, like when you walk out of work or whatever, uh, like in the movie Ready Player One, every lo- everybody logs into like the world server, which is it's kind of like World of Warcraft, yeah. where everybody's all in the same hub and there are shops and all this stuff going on. And it's like, when you get off work, if you could do that, like if I could do that right now, that's all I would talk about. That's, that's it. I would be like, Hey, are you going to log on later? Right. That's like, that would be the only thing on my mind because who knows, maybe for this podcast, if we all have VR helmets pretty soon, maybe for this podcast, we'll be talking to each other all in the same room. Oh man. But virtually. Oh man, we should do that. It, it really makes the world so much smaller than it than yeah uh, than mm-hmm. previously. I, I think it's going to be pretty pretty bizarre, and it's moving pretty fast. And I think that uh, it's going to become the norm. Really, I mean, I think it's going to be the norm that some of these kids, like we talked about, like Craig coming up to me on the playground asking, "Hey, do you like do you like Pokemon?" I think that there will be a space where like people will make friendships that are more important to them through virtual reality than their physical reality, which is already a thing. Like, I mean, I know I've I've met people that like their current spouse, they met on world of Warcraft at some point. So, I mean, it's, it's already in the process of happening, but I think it's just going to, that's, that's still world of Warcraft. You're still, you still have an avatar. Um, Whereas virtual reality, you're, integrating the avatar with yourself because you're blending your physical and virtual realities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Whether you want to be role playing like on a role playing server or uh essentially or if you want to be yourself in game. <laughs> right. Or in whatever experience you're in in VR. Maybe I should have saved this one for a different conversation because this is a whole other deep subject. <laughs> <laughs> To go along with that too, like when I used uh, my coworker's VR helmet with those Oculus Rifts, you have like a your home screen is like a customizable home, like an actual home, kind of like The Sims or something. So, <laughs> oh, so cool. like your home screen has furniture and it has these big windows that look out into the mountains like this is how he set it up because you can customize it and it's got these like windows that like you can look out into the mountains and like you can change the time of day and you can so like when you're in the vr helmet you have a house and it's got all the furniture and it looks like you live in a nice house and the oculus rift has really really great sensing for for obstacles so if you approach a wall it gives you a notification that you're approaching a wall so you can walk around your house feasibly with one of these things on and live in your virtual house, but you actually live in an empty house. So you can really wow. liven up your your living situation as like a luxurious house and then just ignore your real house at all times, honestly. Oh, um, sign me up. That <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's cool. It's honestly really, really cool. Like when I first tried it on i was like i said i was absolutely kind of blown away by the thing really um yeah never have to buy a sofa again nope you can just sit on the floor and pretend like you've got one oh yeah (laughs) totally (laughs) 
Uh, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. Uh, I've I've only used a few VR headsets, but I didn't know that about uh, that we were that far along already. That's pretty great. Yeah, the, like I said, the, the the new Oculus thing is pretty pretty incredible. Honestly, um, really pushes the limit. And the, the part that was really most incredible to me when I turned it on is that. I, I had used a couple of VR helmets in the past, but you can always tell that you're looking at screens attached to your face. Yeah. Um, the newest Oculus really does a good job of like, you can't, like it just takes over your eyes. Nice. Like you can't tell that you're looking into glass, that you're looking into screens. It just, it just instantly integrates with your eyes and your eyesight, even if you have glass, oh like an adapter for it. Nice. So you don't, by any means at all feel like you're wearing a helmet and it only took about two minutes of my wearing the helmet before i completely forgot and like when i took the helmet off and i was like back in a diff in a room it it was like overwhelming honestly because it just it literally takes over all of your your facial senses at that point um mm-hmm. or your your especially like with like kinetics and haptics and and your eyesight, but those three things it takes over so well that like you don't even realize that you're wearing a helmet. It's really mm-hmm. weird. Well, I think we agree, and I think this might resonate with Mike a bit more. Uh, that basically the future of gaming is going to be Roy from Rick and Morty. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah! I was like, what? <laughs> oh man, yeah. yeah. Explain, Kevin. It's it's uh it's an arcade game, but it's a VR helmet that takes over your entire like, consciousness. <laughs> and through playing the game Roy, play out the life of this character named Roy. You play it in real time, Damn. from the moment you're born to the moment you die. And yes, <laughs> and your score changes in the game based on whether you die sooner or live longer. <laughs> Essentially. So like in the show, uh in Rick and Morty, um Rick essentially puts the helmet on his grandson's head and his grandson is sucked into the game and is born as Roy and lives and like grows up and he's like playing sports as a kid and he becomes a teenager and he's like living this dual life essentially that he has no idea he's living. And he gets old and he works at a carpet store and then he gets cancer and he, you know, his wife is like, don't give up on me. And he's like, oh, I won't, I won't, I'm not ready. He beats cancer. He beats, he beats cancer and, and he goes back to work at his family carpet store. And then he dies by falling off of a ladder, just being like, shit, and just hitting the ground and dying. And then he wakes up and all of a sudden he like pulls the helmet off and he's like, what? Oh my God, what's going on? And he has no idea where he is or what just happened, but he just lived like a lifetime in a VR. Sounds like one of Jesse's salvia trips. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, that is one hundred percent accurate. It it also kinda that, that reminds me of a. did you guys both see the new Blade Runner movie? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Did did you see that, William? No, I didn't. Um well there's kind of a do you mind if I spoil it or are you gonna watch it at some That's point? Fine. Um well in the movie he's got like a a VR girlfriend. He's got like a holographic girlfriend that's like saved on like what looks like a little USB stick. Oh my God. And he's got like a, but it's, it's, it's AI run. So he builds this relationship with it. Um, And you can tell like, you know, the the relationship was already there when the movie starts out. But then throughout the movie, as they go through these different scenarios and stuff, like 
her AI constantly reacts to like what's going on. So they really look and feel like they're in love and just feel so it just like feels so real to him, the character, and it feels so real to like like to watch the way that they interact and everything because she constantly learns. Um, but then like, you know, the AI itself is like programmed to sort of cater to whatever you want it to be. So like whatever you want her to be like and act like is what she does. Yeah. So it's like, is it is it real or is it just AI or is it and you know, at one point in time, like the USB drive with the girlfriend on it gets like smashed and he's walking through the streets and he sees an advertisement that's for like that U- that same USB stick for like a girlfriend and like the hologram like the the advertisement is like kind of acting like his girlfriend but not really because it's it's AI I don't it, it all gets pretty weird but it's like Kenya. stuff like that seeming pretty damn plausible at this point to have mm. a holographic girlfriend. <laughs> That's an yeah. existential movie too, in so many ways. It was so good. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great. They they address the point of him having a virtual girlfriend constantly throughout the movie, like characters being like, "Oh, you don't like real girls," and that's a thing. And talking about it, like they 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 pose the question, you know, and they they make sure that audiences recognize that it's going on <laughs> in the right. movie, which right? Is really it's going cool. on, and that it's like, I mean. Is it morally okay? Because it kind of seems like you have sort of a weird AI slave, but it's is it also like it's just a robot, so it's like it's fine and it's just a hologram on a USB stick. So it's like, is that is that good? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, these kinds of questions that I think were once sci-fi posed questions, like in movies like Blade Runner or The Matrix or Rick and Morty or whatever, I think are gonna start becoming um you know, more of an actual thing that we need to address as we dive headfirst into this next world of gaming and cyberspatial awareness. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Getting late, you guys want to wrap it up? Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. I, I don't think we could really come up with a thesis for this entire conversation. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it, it it made me learn that I think. Uh, I mean, I had those five prompts, so we'd have enough to talk about. We could honestly just talk about one of these prompts for an entire two hours. Really, I mean, to yeah. be honest, so might yeah, consider narrowing down the next one a little bit more. Yeah, um, you know, I just want to voice my opinion that I think the title Gex Play is pretty fucking strong. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And, uh, I, mean, I just want to throw my hat in the ring for that one. <laughs> Honestly, whatever but, you guys come up with, I am fine with. <laughs> yeah, uh, Kevin, you're in charge of the uh, Discord group, so I just sort of see you as in charge of the podcast. So. Sure, sure. Sounds good to me. Um, I'll uh, I'll get this uploaded on SoundCloud at some point, and uh, I'll be happy. Oh, yeah. Nobody listens to it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll get Cody to listen to it, and then we'll get Cody to guest on. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. And then we'll get the likes. All right. All right. So, 
who wants to work on the Gex Play logo? Dude, I will do that. All right. <laughs> Make it happen. Mike, let's both submit something. Sure. <laughs> not not saying that's a challenge. No, no. Uh, well, I might just see. Is is pornographic imagery of Gex allowed? <laughs> it's encouraged. Okay. All right, then I'll, I'll submit something then. Think about that sexy wingle I sent the other day. <laughs> Think about her, Michael. <laughs> okay, now I got to figure out how to stop this thing. Tell Craig to leave. Shoo, go away, Craig. Thanks for listening to Gex Play. If you even got this Yeah, part. thank you, Cody, our only <laughs> listener. Yeah, and if you're not Cody and you're listening to this, uh, thank you so much. Because <laughs> you're the only one listening. Yep, it'll probably just be me later. All right, <laughs> stopping recording. Goodbye.